Well, as we turn our attention to the word of the Lord, would you bow with me once again and let's pray before we spend some time in his precious word. Father, we thank you so much for your word and for the truth that is found in it. God, we ask that in the moments to come, you would speak to us. These are your very words, Father. Help us to approach them as such. God, would you apply them to our lives? Lord, it's not about some foolish speaker or preacher. It is about you. It's about your words, your word. God, may you increase as I decrease. May your words float forward and mine be put to a stop. Father, would you move this morning to teach us, to encourage us, to stretch us, Father, to convict us where we need to be convicted, to challenge us where we need to be challenged. Lord, but also to comfort those who are hurting and strengthen those who are weak. God, we love you and we know that all this is possible through the reading and the teaching and the proclamation of your holy word. Would you move now among us? We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, God, our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, and I hope that you do, I encourage you to take it and turn with me once again to the book of First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, that's just fine. Feel free to access a digital copy of the Word or follow along on the screen. You can also just take one of those Bibles that's in the back of the pew there in front of you, and you can borrow that to follow along with. If you don't have your own copy of Scripture at home, please feel free to take that copy as our gift to you. We'll be happy to replenish it. I just encourage you to take that and let that be a gift from us to you. However, you might be accessing the word of the Lord. I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? As we look together in first Thessalonians, we'll be reading chapter two, verses one through 16. I'll read for us all 16 verses. When I've completed the reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond. If you are indeed grateful with the words, thanks be to God. Let's look now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity, or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. 
For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So, as always, to fill up the measure of their sins... But wrath has come upon them at last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We return to the letter known as 1 Thessalonians to us. And we pick up with Paul as he is having a conversation with the church at Thessalonica as he is corresponding to them. You'll remember in that first chapter, he began by thanking God for them. And what we even see in these verses in chapter 2 is that he's not just issuing words of flattery. These are not just buttering them up to have some big ask later in the letter of please do this. You know, I want to butter you up so that I can ask you to do something nice for me later. Paul comes to them in sincerity. So the words that he writes about them, he's not wasting parchment. He's not wasting ink. He is genuinely grateful to God for the Thessalonians. As Paul kind of lays out in this chapter, they left the church at Philippi. They left what they planted in the city of Philippi, and they were shamefully treated in that city. If you think back with me to Acts chapter 16, this is when Paul and Silas were thrown in the jail. You remember there was a jailer there watching over them, and Paul and Silas were singing hymns, and in the middle of the night, a huge earthquake came, shook the whole jail, broke all the shackles free, and the jailer almost committed suicide. Almost killed himself because he knew the prisoners had escaped. And yet Paul and Silas had not gone anywhere. And they stayed to share the gospel with that jailer. And his entire household comes to believe in Jesus. A powerful church is planted there at Philippi. But the people of the city of Philippi opposed them greatly. They were under extreme persecution. There was a lot of conflict everywhere that they went. And so Paul and Silas and his team obviously just hung it up and said, you know what? It's not worth it. Let's let's just stop sharing the gospel. We're not going to do anything else for the ministry of Jesus. There's so much pressure. There's so much conflict. There's so much um, trial and tribulation and struggle that there's just no need for us to continue. Right. That's that's what Paul and Silas did. That's what that's what they said. No, that's what Paul's telling us. Even though they were imprisoned, they were beaten, they were treated poorly, they said, well, off to the next city. That's Paul's mode of operating. Everywhere he goes, when we read in the book of Acts, if you'll remember, he goes into a church in Iconium and Lystra. And when he goes there, they take him outside the city and stone him. There's no smoking involved. These are rocks being hurled at Paul until they presume him to be dead. 
They leave him for dead. And I hope you know that in the process of stoning someone, there's always a last guy. And they always fought over who the last guy was going to be. The last guy was the one who went and picked up the heaviest rock. And after the stoning was done and they had thrown softball-sized stones and rocks at whoever they were killing, the last guy gets to go pick up the big rock and walk over there and make sure that the job is done and throw it down on top of their head to make sure that it is finished. So when it says that they stoned Paul and left him outside of the city, assuming he was dead, they really thought he was dead. They had a last man because it was a proper stoning. And they threw a big old stone on Paul's head. But for some reason, the Lord was not done with him. And the believers came and collected him. The Lord revived him. And Paul said, let me tell you what. They stoned me in that city. I ain't ever going back in there because I'm going to get killed if I go try and share the gospel in that city. No. Paul got up. He got better marched right back into the same city and said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and there is a way of salvation. Folks, I just want you to know, if at Bethany, you guys take me outside these walls and stone me, and then John Wallace comes and carries the big stone and just finishes me off with the big stone, maybe Shannon Pugh, he's a big guy. We might need a bigger guy to throw the stone. Could be TJ, who knows? Somebody finishes me off with that stone and then the Lord raises me back from the dead. I promise you, I'm not as faithful as Paul. I'm going to move on. I'm going to get the message that I'm not welcome here. I I mean, I don't know about y'all, but somebody stones you to death. You're not welcome there. Don't go back. It's not Paul. Paul says, I don't care that y'all tried to kill me. I'm coming back. I'm going to share the gospel with you. I don't care how they treated me in Philippi. There's people in Thessalonica that are on their way to an eternity separated from God, and I've got to do something about it. And so he recounts the time that he spent with the Thessalonians. He recounts that even when he was there, he didn't want to put any burden on them. You know, Paul was a tent maker by trade. So he came to them, and even though he didn't have to, and this is out of the ordinary for Paul, normally the churches would support his ministry. But in this particular case, so that they would listen to the gospel and know that he wasn't a charlatan, know that he wasn't there to sell them snake oil, he worked as a tent maker night and day. Every moment that he wasn't sharing the gospel, he was making a tent to sell. And sometimes even while he was making a tent, the customer would come in and that customer would get to hear the gospel. Paul did everything he could to make sure they knew that he was on the up and up, that he was a true believer, that the gospel is real. And in this case, among the Thessalonians, it involved him taking on an extra job. And so he worked an extra job for the sake of the gospel. This is the commitment that Paul has to this story, this story that changes lives, this true story. And that's the the phrase that I want to focus in on in this first 16 verses of chapter 2. I want us to look here at what he says in verse 13. Paul says to the Thessalonians, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. And that word of God is at work in you, believers. Folks, I think it is the easiest thing in the world to live in South Alabama and to walk through the Christmas season 
and to even say, yeah, 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 Jesus is the reason for the season. It's, it's all about Jesus. It's all good. That's, that's, that's what this is about, is that God, yeah, God sent His Son, and, and Jesus was born, and they laid Him in the manger, and, and that's really good. But how many of us take time every season to remember that that story is real? It's not a made-up fiction that somebody just conjured up in their mind. They're not trying to add credibility to who Jesus was and what his ministry was. They didn't just come up with a catchy backstory so that we would really connect with this character named Jesus. No, this is what happened. It is the Word of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And sometimes we walk through this Christmas season so enamored with all the wonderful decorations, with Springdale, with Candyland, with the square and the big tree and all the lights. It is so easy for that simple song that was up on those screens. Happy birthday, Jesus. All the tinsel and lights, they sure are nice, but it's nothing without you. We're not living like the Thessalonians. We're so wrapped up in, well, when are we getting together with this family? Well, I'm not getting together with them then. Well, this is our family tradition, and we're not getting together with them on this day. We're getting together with them on that day. And then we get so mad at each other, half the time we won't even get together as a family because we were mad at that portion of the family that didn't invite us to this family get together, and we rank higher up in the family. We should be at this family get together. You don't understand. I'm the important grandparent. I should be there when they open the presents, okay? If the other grandparents get to be there when they open the presents, I want to be there to see them open the presents. Does it sound familiar to anybody? We ain't inviting Aunt Margaret over. I'm telling you, Aunt Margaret ain't coming because we're going to spend some time and have some peace in this house. Because once Aunt Margaret gets here, we all know where things are going. And we ain't inviting Aunt Margaret over till tomorrow. She can come the day after Christmas if she wants to. These are our conversations during Christmas time. Are we going to put the lights on the house? I really think the lights look good on the house. The kids love when the lights are on the house. Can't we just put some more decorations out this year? All this stuff's great. There's there's no problem with that. But we count the lights and the decorations as more real because we can see them and they twinkle in the darkness. And we can see the big tree on the square. And they make the fake snow. It's, it's, it's the snow that blows all over the square. And you can see it. You can touch it. Don't eat it. It's more like bubbles than snow. It's probably not good for your digestive tract. But the things that we can see and smell and touch and feel, we think that's what's important because it's real. Because I can touch it. I know that it's true. And we forget that it is true that Mary and Joseph rode on a donkey. Now, I don't think their donkey was in a costume, and I don't think that their donkey took the costume off right before they got to the manger. That probably, the kids did a really great job, but that portion may not have been quite as historically accurate as as you might have hoped, okay? But I, I think they still did fantastic. But there really was a young teenage girl who became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And then an angel appeared to her, and an angel appeared to her betrothed husband, Guys, how many of you would walk away from your fiancé if you showed up and she was six months pregnant and you know that that ain't your kid? You know that there ain't no way that's your kid. And yet an angel shows up and Joseph sticks around. That's real. That happened. That's the Word of God. And even as Paul says this, It's a reaffirmation to us that what Paul is writing, 1 Thessalonians, is the Word of God. This is one of those times that within the Bible we find proof and attestation that 
the words we read are the very words of God. Paul says that you received the word of God, which you heard from us. That means the words that Paul was speaking to them, the words that Paul was writing to the Thessalonians, those words are the very words of God. Well, how come we think that the Bible is all holy and inspired? How come we think that it's all true? Well, because Paul told us that the words that he wrote, the words that he spoke were the very words of God. And then the Thessalonians took him at that word. They said, you know what? That sounds crazy. You're telling me you speak for the one and only living God, the one true living God. You speak on his behalf. Paul said, yeah, these words I'm telling you, they are the word of God. And they said, okay. And that's all they had. Do you know why we still have this letter? Because they would stay up late at night with a candle. And they would read it over and over and over and over again. And then if there were people in their community that couldn't read, they'd recite it to them over and over and over and over until it was ingrained in their very soul. And they passed it on to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And now not only do we not read it, we argue about which translation you're supposed to read. Let me help you guys out, okay? Do you know what translation of the Bible is the best translation of the Bible? I can solve it right now. The best translation of the Bible is the one you'll read. If you will pick it up and read it, it is the Word of God. And we want to sit around and bicker over which Bible we're supposed to read when people thousands of years ago were desperate to know, well, how did Jesus come about? How was he born? Do you guys have a copy of the parchment of the scroll that Matthew wrote? We recorded how they went to Egypt. Do you guys have what Luke wrote down? Does anybody have it memorized? Can somebody tell me? I trust in Jesus. I know Jesus, but I got to know him more. Somebody tell me the story of how he was born. And then you and I, we sit around and we go, what was that governor's name again? Quirinionis. What, what? I think there was some sort of census going on. That's just hard to read. That's hard to get through. I don't know how them names go. You all know how it happened. We're good. That's, y- y'all got it, right? That's, we are, we, Jesus, born a virgin, got shepherds. There was, there was a cow. There was a sheep. There was a donkey. There's a feeding trough. We talk about that manger. We're good. Yeah, we got the story. We're good. Folks. It's the very word of God. And how many of us are guilty, not just in the Christmas season, but all year long of spending more days not even looking at it than days that we actually read it. Answer for yourself in your own heart. I have to answer for myself in my own heart. Are there more days that I read Scripture than not? Are there more days that I walk and approach this word as the very words of God than not. Just a simple 51% majority. Is it true in your life? Is it true in my life? And people gave their lives so that we could have these very words. I want to go back up, if we can, to verse 4. The reason, the reason that Paul goes back into Iconium, back to Lystra, The reason that Paul leaves Philippi and says, i got to go to see the Thessalonians, is because of what he says in verse 4. He says this same thing in 2 Corinthians. But he says, we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. You and I 
have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So, last night, I was sitting down on the couch to go over this sermon. And as I pulled out my iPad, I looked for where my sermons are. And the whole folder, with all the sermons that I type up and I write and I work on for the last almost five years. All right, y'all put up with me for going on five years this coming April. Okay, five years worth of sermons. Couldn't find the folder. For the life of me, couldn't find the folder. Now, the, the part that worried me a lot was that I couldn't find the folder at all. And all that research and all that work was just, poof, gone in the cloud somewhere. And then the one thing that worried me the most was that I don't know if I remember this sermon well enough to preach it without my notes. And I don't have the notes for tomorrow morning. And this is at like 930 right after the kids have gone to bed. And so it's like, ah, where did it go? So as I'm frantically searching through every piece of electronic equipment that I have, looking for any digital file that may resemble 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, I remember that Luke got sick on Thursday. And when we were on our way back from the doctor, I had this iPad with me. And Luke said, hey, Dad, can I use that little thing and draw on your iPad? And I said, you know what, buddy? No problem. Take my iPad. Boom, boom, boom. Here's an empty document. Draw to your heart's content because we got another hour to ride, man. So have fun. God brought that to my mind. And I looked in a little folder called Recently Deleted. Praise God, somebody programmed a recently deleted folder. And then, boom, there were all of my sermons. Somehow or another, my innocent son had accidentally deleted all the sermons I'd ever preached here at Bethany. And that's not his fault at all. I gave him the iPad. I gave him full access to do whatever he wanted to with my work iPad. So it's on me. I, I get it. I get it. But, you know, as I thought back over that, I went... Yeah, Luke's probably not old enough for me to entrust my iPad that I use every Sunday to him while we're on the road without any supervision. That was probably not a good idea to entrust that to him, right? And, and yet, verse 4, I'm just as much of a knucklehead, if not way more, relatively speaking, and in comparison between my age and the Lord's, between his infinite wisdom and my finite foolishness. Let me tell you, he said, you know what? I entrust this gospel message to you, Nathan. He said, I entrust this gospel message to you, Greg, to you, Bradley. I entrust this gospel message to you. It's not an iPad, all right? If those sermons were gone, it's okay. Life goes on. We figure a way around it. I don't, I don't really ever preach the same sermon twice, so it's not a big deal if they're gone. It's just kind of the sentimental value of it, right? If somebody mishandles an iPad, you get over it. What happens if we mishandle the gospel that's been entrusted to us? What happens if this gospel message that God has made us the ambassadors of, we sit on and treat like it's a fairy tale? Folks, what are we doing this Christmas? Are we remembering the Christmas story as part of the gospel, the very words of God? Is it affecting our hearts and our lives? Or has, has God made a mistake in entrusting us with the gospel? 
And you may ask, well, how do you know that they took this word as the word of God? How do you know that they did these things that you're talking about, preacher? How do you know that they actually lived as though they believed it was the word of God and, and they didn't miss the meaning of Christmas? Well, because you can look at what he says right after verse 13. He says in verse 13, you received the word of God. You heard it from them, from Paul and Silas and the other apostles and missionaries. You accepted it as the word of God, which it really is. And it is at work in you believers. And then he says for you that for you is because I know this because therefore you brothers and sisters in Christ, I know that you accepted it because you became imitators of the church of God in Christ. You became imitators of the church of God in Christ. Oh, see, there it is, preacher. There it is. I was waiting on it. I was waiting on you to tell me that if I just do enough stuff and if I just act like the gospel's real for enough, then I'll be saved. If I work hard enough, I can be saved, right? That's the message of the gospel. No. No. They believed it. They took it on faith as the word of God. That's what saves us. That's what saved them. We know they believed it because it changed them. They went from being everyday Thessalonians to being imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus. They became imitators even in the midst of persecution. They suffered the same things from their countrymen as the, they did from the Jews. That means the same persecution that Paul experienced being stoned to death, being kicked out of town, being locked up and thrown into prison. The Thessalonians experienced that and continued to imitate the church of God in Christ Jesus anyway. Their imitation isn't what saved them. Their imitation was the validation that they were saved. They believed, therefore their lives changed. And so this morning, it's, it's a very simple question. I, I'm, I'm about done. Do you believe the Christmas story? Do you believe the Christmas story so much that it changes the way you go through Christmas? Do you believe the Christmas story so much that it changes every aspect of your life? Or do we like to play Christian and look at the lights and have the Christmas trees, talk briefly about the manger, and then move on as though that's a fun fairy tale? You can always tell when somebody believes the story of Christmas because they live the holiday season differently. I wonder... Are we as a church living in a way that the rest of Andalusia, the rest of Heath, the rest of Covington County looks at us and says, I don't know if that story's true or not, but those people at Bethany, they sure enough believe that that's the truth. How do you know, man? Have you seen the way they live? Have you seen the way they treat people, especially around the holidays? Man, they've got to believe that that Christmas story is true because every one of them acts a little bit different than the rest of us. So something's got to be the motivation. Is that, 
that what our county says about us? Is that what our families say about us? As we walk through this Christmas season, I beg you, don't just write it off as old and familiar. Don't write it off as a fairy tale. But remember and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. That we deserve death. We rebelled against God. Every one of us is sinful. But the Lord God in heaven sent His one and only Son who was born of a virgin, who lived a perfect life, who died the death that you and I deserve, but didn't stay dead. And three days later, the grave couldn't contain Him. The tomb couldn't hold Him. And God raised Him from the dead. And because He lives, we can know that if we believe in this birth, life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it changes who we are, that we can live forever in the very presence of God Almighty. Do you believe that this Christmas season? Do you live that this Christmas season? What will you do? How will we respond? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. It is the very words from your lips. God, your word has power. So we ask that you would work through your word to convict us, to change our hearts. Lord, to help us to imitate you, to imitate your church, and stand out this holiday season to believe just as the Thessalonians believed, to believe just as Paul believed. Lord, may we become imitators of these great saints who have gone before us. Lord, I pray that as we go through a, a brief time where we submit and respond to your Holy Spirit, that you would move amongst us and that we would be obedient. Whether that obedience means to trust in you for the very first time, whether that means being obedient means coming and joining this church, or just coming to these steps and praying and confessing to you, Lord, that we have not treated Christmas as though it were a true and real story of how you came to save us, of when you showed up on the scene. Lord, we ask that your spirit would move and that we might respond in obedience. We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit.